Blog Talk Radio. Well, I thought I had a startup audio. Um, I've, I've got something for our guest today, so humor me for just a second and let me play this. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hi, I'm your host, Brian Jura, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. That uh, little uh, sound clip of Michael Buffer doing the Let's Get Ready to Rumble thing used to be the uh, startup audio for a podcast that me and Mike Potthorzer did, oh, I don't know, about a decade or so ago called The Fantasy Face-Off. So, Mike, uh, welcome, and, and did that bring back good memories for you? I cannot believe that I'm back on the radio with you tonight, and it makes me feel super old to know that we were still doing this 10 years ago. Hey, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, Mike and I, we, uh, we wrote together for two different uh, online sites, and, and we did the uh, fantasy face-off, I don't know, for about two years or so. So we're, uh, we're pretty familiar with each other and, and, and how this podcast thing works. So let's dive right into it. Um, Mike uh, has uh, written a, a bunch of articles this past week for Rotographs talking about his new uh, XBA BIP statistic, and we're going to talk to him about that tonight. Uh, Mike, I think everyone who's listening to the show is familiar with BABIP, but if you could just give us an overview of the XBABIP and the advantages and disadvantages of that, uh, what we had through the end of 2016, I think that would be great. So the issue is everybody loves BABIP. BABIP is what we like to call it, but it's very random. It fluctuates wildly within the season and from season to season. So it's very, very difficult to predict. One year a guy is going to have a 350 BABIP, the next year a 290, and that doesn't happen with other stats. You don't get a guy like Giancarlo Stanton being at the top of the home run per fly ball leaderboards one year and then all of a sudden league average. But in BABIP, that happens. So on my quest to be able to project players with the highest level of accuracy, I started creating a whole array of X metrics, as I call them. And that's basically using underlying skills to create a regression equation that better estimates whatever metric I am trying to estimate, and in this case, BABIP. So BABIP is terrible from a year-to-year standpoint, but ex-BABIP that I created is still not great, but it's definitely much better, and you're better off using last year's ex-BABIP to predict this year's BABIP than you are using last year's actual BABIP. And that was the goal, to create a better stat that can help you project the player going forward. Now, with the idea that we're trying to create a, a better stat, uh, talk a little bit about your, your latest version of this particular X metric. Okay, so the original version I created had line drive rate, pop-up rate, fly ball rate, and a couple of other metrics. And then my fellow writer at Rotographs, Alex Chamberlain, created a slightly updated version two years ago, which I started using. I felt like it was a better version than my own version. So I started using that. He incorporated what we had started to track, which was hard percentage. And that's basically a good proxy for a batter's power. Obviously, the harder the 
batter hits the ball, the better the BABIP. And then we also included a speed metric, which is SPD. The higher the speed metric, the faster the player. And, of course, that helps with infield hits. So that was what the old ex-BABIP metric included, uh, as well as opposite field percentage. And so that was a measure of the hitter's ability to spray the ball to all fields. So that was pretty good. However, we were missing something. And that's the problem of the shift. So in the last couple of years, defensive shifts where you had three infielders move usually to the right side of the infield. There was usually four left-handed batters. You'd have the shortstop move over to play behind second base. The second baseman moved all the way into the hole. And you had the uh, three infielders on the right side. Um, And that was an issue because – the batting averages and BABIP marks of guys like Mark Teixeira, Brian McCann, Chris Davis, these were all left-handed hitters who pulled a ton of ground balls when they hit ground balls, of course. So these guys were getting killed by the shift, and we knew that our BABIP formula did not incorporate it, and that was a major issue. Luckily, Fangraphs actually added what's called the splits leaderboard a couple of months ago, and now we can pull everybody's pulled ground ball percentage. So with a bunch of mathematical magic, I actually created a new stat that combines how often a hitter is shifted against and how often they hit pulled ground balls into that shift. And when I added this metric into my equation, it improved dramatically, and this is now the best ex-BABIP equation I have ever seen. And I'm quite excited about it. For those who are interested in the math, Mike went into it in uh, you know, a bunch of articles that he's posted in, in the past week or so, uh, start with uh, getting shifty with it. So let's just, for the sake of argument right now, say that this is new and improved and much better than we, than we had previously. If you have doubts about that, go read the article. But for right now, let's just talk about some of the results because for the Mets, we're very familiar with uh, left-handed hitters. We're very familiar with left-handed hitters being shifted against. And the first guy that jumps into my mind is Curtis Granderson. And uh, last year he had the, the third lowest uh, average on balls on play among the 100 and how many was it? 146 hitters on the Fangraph leaderboards. So normally we would say, oh, well, you know, we expect him to do better in 2017 in, in this stat. But does, what, what does your new metric show with this? Should we expect that? Well, it's very interesting with Granderson, and when I'm looking at the underlying metrics feeding into my ex-BABIP formula, I just wonder how perfect it is. And, and, and like I said before, this is a caveat. It's the best we've seen my ex-BABIP formula. However, it's still not that good because BABIP is so freaking hard to predict, and there's so much luck involved. And Granderson is a perfect example because this is eye-opening. Now that I incorporated shift data, I have the metrics right in front of me. He actually pulled a ground ball while shifted about 20% of his balls in play. And that's on the same scale as fly ball rate, ground ball rate, and line drive rate. And so you might be familiar, actually, Curtis Granderson – has hit about 42% of his balls in play in the air. So he posted a 42% fly ball rate. And that's a bit higher than the league average. And on that same scale, remember, this is out of 100%, 20% of his balls in play 
were pulled ground balls while he was shifted against. That's a humongous number. And he was actually shifted against on 90% of his balls on play, in play. 90% of the time that he put the ball in play, he was facing a defensive shift. That's nuts. And that's actually double what he faced in 2015. So that, there, that says it all. That's why his BABIP collapsed. However, after saying all that, I actually have his ex-BABIP down at 291, which is significantly higher than his actual BABIP. So I just wonder if maybe some guys get affected more by the shift, or maybe it's not a linear distribution. Sorry to get mathy on all you guys listening. But he's on the extreme end of the spectrum, and the problem with some of these equations is that the guys on the extreme ends – the equations don't work as well. So it's possible that the 291 XBABIP is a bit too high here, and realistically, he might be a bit lower. I don't know. But the fact is, he's getting killed by the shift. Yeah, I don't think that anybody who's watched the games would come to any other conclusion than that. Uh, I'd like to go back one year further with Granderson because he had a, a pretty normal or, or normal for him uh, average on balls on play in 2015 with a 305 mark and then lost, what, 50 or 60 points of that uh, in 2016. And I'm just wondering what your X metric showed for Granderson in 2015. It was actually 324 in 2015, and there's two reasons for that. First, his line drive rate was 27%, which I don't have his full career stats. I only have going back to 2012 on the spreadsheet, but that's the highest mark of his last five years. And I would guess that might be the highest mark of his career. 27% is generally close to the league leader. And that's really driving up his ex-BABIP and usually results in a well above league average actual BABIP mark. And the other thing is that his uh, pull ground ball percentage while shifted was actually half the mark it was in 2016. He wasn't shifted as often, and so that helped him get that BABIP above 300. All right, well um... – Let's uh, move away from uh, Granderson and head over to another Mets lefty, and that's uh, Jay Bruce. Um, you know, a lot of us didn't think he was going to be on the team at this point, but uh, he is, and it certainly looks like they're going to play him. Uh, and he had just a, a regular uh, 246 uh, average on balls on play after joining the Mets last year. Um, does, does your new formula uh, offer any hope for Mets fans for him? It does, but you know what? He's in a very similar boat as Granderson. And as I eye the various components in the ex-BABIP equation, Bruce and Granderson are eerily similar. Very, very similar rates uh, in every single component. And even the, the shift uh, component is, is almost identical. Bruce has shifted very slightly less frequently, but still 86%. I mean, that's the vast majority of his at-bats he's facing a shift. Everything else is very close, but uh, Bruce has not posted a BABIP above 269 in the last three years. So either he's been unlucky for three straight years running, or my ex-BABIP equation it's just not perfect, and it definitely is not perfect. So there might be something there with Bruce that it's not capturing, and it might not be fully incorporating that uh, the, the, the shifting problem. Now, I just pulled up uh, Granderson's uh, Fangraphs page, and very early in his career, he had uh, pretty strong uh, uh, marks on balls in play. He had, uh, uh, in his first full year in 2006, he had a 333 mark, and then the following year he had a, a 360 mark. 
but pretty much ever since then it's been hovering in the, the 270 to 300 range until last year when it was just 254. Yeah, and you see right, that well, for a lot of guys, especially left-handed hitters, and, and the shift is really to blame because the shift has really become in vogue over the last couple of years. And all those lefty hitters, I mean, if you look at Mark Deshera, Brian McCann, they all had relatively normal Babbitt marks, and then the shift completely ate them up, and their Babbitts went from 300, 310 down to 250 immediately, and it was all because of the shift. Well, let's move on to the next uh, uh, Mets lefty, and uh, actually this guy's a switch hitter. It's uh, Neil Walker, uh, and Walker, um, he had a really interesting year last year, and, and one of the things that caused that was he hit more fly balls than ever before. Um, does that have any implication for either his regular uh, balls in play or your new X metric? Yeah, it actually does, and in fly balls, between ground balls, line drives, and fly balls. Fly balls is the worst batted ball in terms of BABIP. It's obviously great for home runs. You can't hit a home run on a ground ball unless you're super speedy and hit one into the corner and there's some fielding miscue. So fly balls are good for home runs, bad for BABIP. And, and that's what basically the trade-off is. So Walker traded some BABIP potential for power, although it didn't actually really affect him, which he was still at 302, which was barely down from his previous season at 306. But it did affect his ex-BABIP, which drops to 291. Now, the thing that is good about Walker is he's always been a good line drive guy. He doesn't hit a ton of pop-ups, and he doesn't get shifted often, certainly far left, uh, less often than Granderson and Bruce. But he also doesn't really pull the ball into the shift. So he actually got shifted 43% of the time last year, which was nearly triple the previous season. But it still didn't hurt him that badly because he just wasn't pulling grounders into the shift, so it wasn't a big deal. Now, Walker was uh, such a a curious case last year because he started off great and then went into a three-month slump and then – was beyond great until the end of the year until he got hurt. Um, is is that uh, anything close to normal, or um, is is that worrisome projecting him for 2017? What are, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, so usually, I mean, first of all, there's no player that's going to consistently have a certain level of performance the entire season. So, I mean, this is generally what players do. They'll be up and down throughout the season. That's first issue. The next issue is Walker was clearly playing over his head. And while a lot of people point to the gambler's fallacy as thinking that if the player is playing over his head, he's going to underperform to offset the overperformance. But I don't think that actually applies to baseball because when we project a player, we're not projecting that player to perform at that exact level on a week-to-week basis. We're projecting that performance over a full season, and we don't know how they're going to get there. We're just fairly certain they're going to get to that point. So I think Walker started off hot with the power. It was clearly over his head. I think he probably benefited from some good fortune. And then that luck kind of evaporated, and so he fell off. He probably dealt with some injury problems, and that also hampered his performance as well. And so that's what happened. And uh, I also created a new X home run per fly ball ratio two weeks ago, and that metric does suggest that from the power department, he was lucky on a full-season basis. 
So I, I think that had a lot to do with his performance coming crashing down. All right, let me put you on the spot with a, a yes or no question. Um, the Mets extended the qualifying offer to Walker, and he took it. Good decision for the Mets or not? Well, I think it was a good decision because Walker is still one of the better hitting second basemen in baseball. And you don't usually get a whole lot of offense from a second baseman. So when you have that potential to keep one on your team, I think if it's not too expensive and it's a short-term deal, I think it makes sense to do that because they clearly clearly don't have any other replacements. You know, there's no easy free agent options. Where are you going to go if not Walker? I mean, Wilmer Flores, maybe you can give a shot, but he doesn't have a good on-base percentage, and offensively, he's not as good as Walker. So I think that was a good decision on their part. He's Mike. I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about uh, some of the Mets uh, lefty hitters and switch hitters, and we've got a couple of more that I want to ask Mike about. And first up is uh, Asdrubal Cabrera, who just uh, went absolutely insane at the end of the year, specifically at uh, at City Field. It is a very small sample size, but in his last uh, 75 plate appearances in City Field, uh, Cabrera had a 43.5 home run per fly ball rate. Uh, just talk about that in in general, and then how your uh, x metric uh, factors into things with uh, Cabrera. Uh, going forward in 2017. You know, everybody was talking about Gary Sanchez. I think everybody should have been talking about his dribble Cabrera instead. Right. <laughs> I mean, they both basically put up a 40% home number fly ball ratio over a relatively small sample, but Gary Sanchez got all the fanfare while as Drupal, I didn't even realize it until you just pointed that out to me. So we were just talking about my ex home number fly ball ratio in relation to Neil Walker. And so, so this is very interesting. So my new equation here actually only uses two metrics. And, and the primary driving force of the equation is a metric that you can find from StatCast, which is the new MLB.com technology that gives us all these fun metrics to analyze from both hitters and pitchers. They created this metric called barrels per batted ball event. And barrels is basically the percentage of batted balls in which the batter hits the living daylight out of the ball. So obviously, the more often a batter hits the living daylight out of the ball, the more likely he's going to hit home runs, right? Of course, it makes sense. So Cabrera's barrels per batted ball event, which is just any batted ball, actually declined last year. And yet his home number fly ball ratio jumped by like 75%. That's crazy. So to me, I think he was playing way above his head. I think he's going to come back down to earth and his power is probably going to disappoint those that expect a repeat this year. Well, that's not what we Met fans wanted to hear, but uh, let's move along. Uh, well, what I meant was, <laughs> what I meant was, is that Cabrera is probably going to be uh, an MVP candidate this year. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. Well, <laughs> let, let's uh, let, let's move over. Uh, let's shift over, if you will, to uh, to Michael Conforto. You know, we had such great hopes for him last year. Started off on fire, and then and then uh, really fell apart. Um, what, what do you see on him uh, with your metrics? 
Well, I really am surprised that it almost seems like the Mets are giving up on him already. And obviously, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, they felt like they had a science espitus. You, you thought maybe they would find somebody to trade Jay, Jay Bruce to, but after his miserable finish with the Mets, I'm sure the value wasn't there if they would trade him away. And obviously, they still have Granderson. So there really is no room for Conforto. So maybe it's not that they're giving up on him. It's just that there was really nothing that they were able to do. Their hands were tied. They had three obviously legit starting outfielders. There was no room for Conforto. Going into 2016, I actually thought that he was overrated based on his small sample 2015. But just like I often do, I kind of like him a little better now. Obviously, he was disappointing, and, and he's also now got a shift problem. And which is interesting uh, because he wasn't shifted at all in 2015. But uh, again, that was a small sample. They were probably still collecting data on him. Now that they have all those stats in the book, they realize, whoa, we got to shift on this guy as well. So it's interesting that like all Mets left-handed outfielders are all totally shiftable. But anyway, onto his power. His power was actually pretty intriguing last year and um just scrolling down to his x home number fly ball ratio he actually from that barrels per batted ball event metric he was actually really good and uh he deserved a mid-teens home run per fly ball ratio rather than a low teens and i think that's a good sign for the future and i'm sure we'll see him up at some point it's just a matter of will he have a starting job because there was a trade made or maybe there was an injury. And if you play in a fantasy league, I think he's a good guy to buy low on now and speculate on because uh, I, I think he'll be cheap. And I think at some point he'll provide some value. And if nothing else, in 2018, he'll be good. From a purely subjective point of view, it seemed like Conforto got way too pull-happy last year. And supposedly the first time they sent him down to the minors, they were talking about having him work on going the other way when he came back up. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the numbers show, but uh, certainly uh, uh, the, the pull issue, I think, was a, a, a big problem for Conforto in, in 2016. Um, let's, let's shift gears and, and get you to, to weigh in on, on some of the Mets pitchers here. Um, it's, it's so tough to forecast them just because it seems like every single one of them is coming off of an injury. So I'm just wondering if there was anything surprising you found when you were doing your, uh, pod projections on the, uh, the Mets pitchers. Yeah, well, I actually have not projected an injury. They haven't gotten injured yet. That's amazing to me. Actually, the most surprising thing is how close to rebounding to a good ERA Matt Harvey actually is. So, surprise, surprise, because I, I thought I must have been doing something wrong, but I'm projecting Matt Harvey for a 325 ERA. And I don't know if that's like, all right, yeah, you figured he was going to rebound, or that's like, oh, but that's still worse than his pre-2016, or if the reaction is, Whoa, he was terrible last year. He had a 486 ERA. Are you nuts? A 325? So, Brian, what's your reaction to a 325 projected ERA? And I'll tell you, out of the steamer and the fans' projections on his Fangraphs page, 325 is actually lower than both of their projections. 
Well, I think the the initial reaction is if the Mets were able to get a, a 325 from Harvey, along with what we expect they're going to get from Syndergaard and and what we hope they're going to get from uh, Jacob Degrom, I think that most people would be pretty happy with that. Um, we just did our projections uh, on the site, and I'm pulling them up right now. Uh, we get uh, 11 people to to weigh in on theirs, and then uh, take those and and come up with an official site projection. Um, my own uh, for Harvey being the, the fanboy optimist, and, and these are not anything uh, remotely like yours, which are systematic. This is just, hey, I watch a lot of games. This is what I think. And, you know, I, I came up with him with a 3 one ERA. Our site hey, we're um, pretty close. Uh, combined had, uh, had that same 3 one ERA for him. So, but we tend to be on the optimistic side because we're fans after all. But yeah, Harvey to me is the biggest unknown just because we don't know how he's going to recover from that surgery. And the, the TO surgery is becoming more popular, but it's not like we have a ton of data on it like we do with the TJ surgery. So we're, I think we're in a little more of an unknown territory with Harvey than we are with the rest of the, the Mets pitchers. This is exactly right. So basically our ERA projections are uh, a complete guess. Oh, we really – have no idea because we have a very small sample size of pitchers that have come back from that surgery. And, and so we don't really know how it affects them. But the thing that makes me positive about Harvey is that we finally got the explanation for his struggles. It wasn't just a down year. His velocity wasn't just down and you just shrug your shoulders and you're like, I don't know, but he's been good before. So maybe he'll rebound. We know there's a reason we know exactly what happened. He had this surgery you would imagine that would correct his issues and he'd be back to previous levels. And, and that's what I'm thinking. And obviously a 325 is not totally back because you have to assume some sort of risk. You have to hedge just a bit just in case you're wrong. We obviously don't know what the surgery is going to do to his performance and if his velocity is going to come all the way back. But I think it is a good sign that he had the surgery. We know what the problem is and it was fixed. And now there's no excuses. To me, I'm much more worried about uh, quantity than quality when it comes to Harvey. And, you know, if, if you told me that, that Harvey was going to be physically able to pitch in 170, 180 or so innings this year, I, I think that the, the quality will follow. But who knows how many innings he's going to be able to give you. Um, how, how many innings do you, do you project him to uh, pitch in 2017? I have him down for 26 starts, 155 innings. But again, Total wild guess. It's it's fairly meaningless. And you know what? Until we see him throwing in spring training and we get reports on how he's looking, how he's feeling, his velocity, we have no idea. So these projections can all be taken with a grain of salt at this point for him specifically. But it does represent a, a relatively optimistic view. Now, Matt Harvey is a, is a particular case, a very specific case of a guy who's been excellent when he's been healthy, but he's had some serious injury issues. So he, obviously he's very difficult to forecast, but not every player falls into the, to the Matt Harvey uh, category. And I know you've been doing your own projections for uh, many years now. Uh, just talk about your pod projections and uh, what goes into them and, and where people can get them. So I've actually been projecting players since 2001, and it's pretty amazing to me because every single year 
I have improved my process and added at least one extra layer to my projections, whether it's creating a new metric that helps guide me or just projecting new metrics. And right now, you could actually order my 2017 pod projections at projectingx.com, and then you click on the 2017 player projections page. You could also buy my ebook, Projecting X 2.0, How to Forecast Baseball Player Performance, on that site as well. So really the whole key here is that I project all the underlining components that drive the what I call the result stats. So I don't project a batter's home runs. Instead, I project their fly ball rate, their home run per fly ball rate, their strikeout rate, and all three of those metrics combined then leads to a home run projection. So I think that's the key there to making good projections is forecasting all the underlining components that really drive the metrics that you're trying to actually forecast. Well, Mike, this was like uh, old times, throwing it back a decade. You and I on Blog Talk Radio doing a podcast. Thanks so much for uh, showing up and, and sharing your wisdom on the Mets. I really appreciate it. It was great to be back, Brian. Make sure you check out Mike's work over on uh, Rotographs on the uh, Fangraphs page and, and go over and, and purchase his projections. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great night, everyone. Goodbye.